Welcome to the comic syllabus. (laughs) We will get this. Welcome to the comic syllabus. (laughs) We are a comics analysis podcast where Johnny and I read widely and dig deep in the world of comics and graphic novels. And this week on the comic syllabus, we read widely from titles as broad as Sentient from TKO and Spy X Family from Shonen Jump and Trillium uh, by Jeff Lemire as well. Uh, and the banks from TKO as well. And we'll also be digging deep on uh, two uh, uh, fantasy works uh, from Image Comics, Little Bird and Pretty Deadly. The Rat. Right. Pretty Deadly, The Rat. The Rat. Three. <laughs> That's right. Not the whole Pretty Deadly. Yeah. Just sort of Pretty Deadly. Yeah. All right. We are a part of the Multiversity Network of Podcasts. Uh, you can find us at multiversitycomics.com. Along with this podcast, you can find a plethora of podcasts. You can find all kinds of good shows about um, DC, Marvel, uh, independent comics, Star Wars, um, whatever. Whatever your liking is, there's something there for you at multiversitycomics.com, as well as reviews of comics and comics-related media, um, interviews, and all kinds of good stuff. So check out multiversitycomics.com. Also, uh, be sure to subscribe, uh, rate, and review if you like what you're hearing. And also, uh, don't be afraid to um, interact with us online. Uh, we're both on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, Paul is at Two Ply, and I am at Johnny Hall Three. That's right. That's right. So after the break, we'll come back with our picks and shovels for this week. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together, we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at multiversitycomics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow on iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. All right, welcome back to the comic syllabus and the picks and shovels of the week. Um, Paul, I uh, I was on uh, Robots from Tomorrow. I don't know if you heard. There's a super... <laughs> It was a super big honor uh, to be on the show. Uh, I was on a couple episodes, and one of the episodes I talked about, uh, we did like our our uh, Monday picks, um, and I talked about Green Lantern season two, number one. And I kind of got back on a, I you know refreshed my memory on uh, on Green Lantern season one, and just how much fun I had with that comic. I'm not a I'm not a chunky lore type guy. A lot of that stuff really just kind of went over my head. But what Grant Morrison, what Grant Morrison does best is he just like throws it all in a pot and just has fun with it, you know, just mixes it up. And combined with um, Liam Sharp's art, which is just uh, no pun intended, but it is stellar. <laughs> uh, I mean, it feels like the book must weigh heavier more than a normal book. All the all the ink that <laughs> that is in those books, like his art, just has a weight to it. Uh, there's just mm-hmm. so much ink on the page. Um, it, it, it's just a, a, a blast, uh, to read. Um, I, uh, and then, you know, on top of that, uh, that kind of got me jazzed to like start reading some other, um, space comics. So I got mm-hmm. in like a, mm-hmm. like a whole, uh, whole mode of, of checking out some other, uh, <laughs> books that involve uh, space. And a lot of them have to do with, um, like Jeff Lemire's uh, entries, um, you huh. and I previously um, uh, previously reviewed uh, Descender, or at least yeah, a volume yeah. of it. Uh, and I'm sure you're catching up or or have caught up on the newest uh, Jeff Lemire Dustin Nguyen yeah. series, Ascender. A couple issues, a couple issues behind on it. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but um, for those of you who don't know, Descender. Uh, was kind of like uh, very uh, what it means to be human, very uh, a, a take on the sentience of robots. And uh, this one is, a, it flips the whole uh, 
premise of this series or the original series on its head. This one is a fantasy series set 10 mm. years after the, um, uh, after the events of the, the finale of Descender. And I just thought it was such a kind of a brave thing to do to, to uh, just zag, you know, when, when they could have just, you know, stayed the course and done mm-hmm, more, mm-hmm. you know, robot comics. Now there are robots right. in it, but, or a robot, but, yeah. Um Dustin Wynn's art has never looked better, I don't think. Mm, mm, I I, yeah. I don't think I've seen much fantasy work from Dustin. Mm-hmm, but mm. he just it, it, it's it, the art is so luscious and mm. vibrant and his ideas are just springing off the page in ways mm, that mm-hmm. are really unexpected. Yeah. Huh. That's um, cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh and then um I'm kind of um so that's Jeff Lemire. I got on a you know space kick. <laughs> Jeff Lemire's got quite a few <laughs> space books out there. Uh, right. It, I'm. Um, uh, I'll talk about it in a minute. But I'm doing a review of Isle of Dogs, and I don't know if you've seen that movie, but it plays with language mm-hmm. in a kind of an interesting way. And it's a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, Wes Anderson. Yeah, movie. yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't seen it, but of course, you know, no, right. no about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, but his uh, Vertigo book. Trillium plays uh-huh, with uh-huh. language in a really fun way in the book. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of wanted to revisit that just as a thought experiment on how um, I thought maybe the manga ad- adaptation of Isle of Dogs could have mm-hmm. could have played out because it yeah, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't really play out that way, but it it could have, I think. It they could have had some some fun with if if you had uh, in the movie Isle of Dogs the all the dogs talk in American. All the Japanese people still speak Japanese with mm-hmm, very little subtitles and tra- or translation. Mm. And in Trillium, there is a lot of um, uh, communication breakdown or um, or uh, just uh, trying to find new ways to communicate. And I thought, and it was you know it was just a a fun. Um, I think it was one of the first jeff lemire books i ever read um and it kind of made me a fan um ever since one interesting uh, that you say that about um those books and relating it to like a space uh, you know space stories sure. i think a lot of space stories are like came around at a time and are hand in hand with this idea of just encountering a kind of foreign other you know yeah and so it makes sense that when we use uh, this ties in a little bit to um to our Carnival X thing too, but when uh, when you when you think about that kind of encounter with the other um, and the unknown of the other, language plays into that a whole lot because our human experience of like, you know, going to a foreign land or encountering a foreign visitor is very much about like the the anxiety of communication, right? Whether or not we can, you know, yeah, whether we speak absolutely. the same language or whether we'll be understood or whether there's um suspicion that comes with like thinking that there's some kind of crazy you know designs or plans um, in someone in some foreign language yeah yeah and trillium really plays on on that anxiety really well Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah um also from uh also in the the space genre and a a book that reminded me a lot of trillium at at least as far as art Mm. uh and a little bit of the the main character the um greg on uh robots for tomorrow also recommended a book called uh cannabis from scout comics by writer artist mm-hmm, dave chisholm mm-hmm. sure. and i was able to read the first uh couple issues of that um and i had a blast it's it's very like um andre uh, tarkovsky um hmm. you know solaris uh, a very psychological horror type uh, uh space story you know, mm-hmm. um, a lot of our uh, more frightening um, horror aspects of, of a space story have to deal with the mm-hmm. isolation and the loneliness of being yeah. <laughs> being huh. so far away from home. And yeah. um, Cannabis, you know, the main character starts off on a planet 300 light years away from Earth, doesn't know how yeah, she got yeah. there. <laughs> and huh. it's and it and she has this young child that's you know 
could be an alien, could be a robot, you're could be a figment of our imagination. You're not quite sure what sure. it is. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, following her along, and then she's her thoughts start manifesting themselves in reality, and so this this young child that's with her, she realizes may just be you know a figment of her imagination made real or a figment of her uh, past made real. It's just right, really like right. haunting. And, yeah, and as she realizes that <laughs> she realizes, you know, she is being haunted by her past, uh, demons. Um, and just really intriguing. I, I can't wait to see where huh. this, the series goes. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the Jeff Lemire kick uh, a couple more times. Uh, so so Jeff Lemire's been doing his, like, I kind of feel like it's his ABC comics or his his uh, Astro City um, mm. uh, kind of version for Dark Horse the past few years with Black sure. Hammer. Sure, sure. And uh, one of the, I think one of the better series to come out of that so far is Skull Digger and Skeleton Boy. And that's huh. with one of my favorite artists. Uh, I'm gonna butcher his name, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a shot. Uh, Tanji Zanjik, is that right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that, I yeah, think yeah. so. That's what I've heard, but yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> just a just a fantastic cartoonist. Yeah, uh, yeah. has such a great eye for um, uh, like panel layouts and mm-hmm, the genre mm-hmm. which you know w- w- that he's working in at the time. He does a lot of yeah. He does a lot of crime books, and this yeah. really mm-hmm. plays in that area. This plays like a, almost like a, a nine, like a nineteen eighties, early, you know, late seventies, early eighties Daredevil, Frank mm-hmm. Millerish type mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, this is you know what if what if Punisher had a sidekick, you know, or <laughs> you know if if it you know not Batman's ward but the Punisher's ward. Um, <laughs> And it really, you know, that's that's sort of the elevator pitch, but it really has to deal with like the legacy of, of violence between, uh, or not between, but from fathers carried down to sons, mm-hmm. and how and how that can be um, not only um, almost not just learned but inherited, really, yeah, um, and just a really um, kind of frightening. Uh, I, I don't know what. Uh, yeah, yeah, frightening uh, look at some of these uh <laughs> um these grim 80s comics that we yeah, yeah. kind of huh. like uh are a little darker <laughs> than we yeah you know than we you know we picked them up on newsstands as kids but they were yeah telling some pretty dark stuff <laughs> yeah 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 and black hammer is just so good at like nailing that meta meta comics yeah, absolutely. absolutely you know um like really roundabout ways but but I mean, not not like subtle, but really making us examine this, the various superhero genres and uh, what's really underneath them and, uh, you know, laying them out for us. So I actually completely missed that Skulldigger and Skeleton Boy was a Black Hammer title. Oh. <laughs> so, you are totally updating and informing me. And I can't believe I missed it because I love Zanjik's art. He's got a, um, reminds me a little bit of that sort of like um, Doc, Doc Shaner um no that's yes. not even the right one but but you know a little bit of chris somni type of style um oh yeah that very, I, very I always, clean lines. always enjoy mm-hmm. yeah 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 so yeah yeah great book um yeah yep uh and then last i'll uh, mention um and i think you're gonna talk about a tko book but the tko book mm-hmm. i'm gonna talk about is another jeff lemire book <laughs> he's getting a lot of plugs this episode uh <laughs> It's another book uh, in in the wheelhouse of, of sentient robots, mm-hmm. and this book is in fact called Sentient. Have you mm-hmm. have you read this book? No, it keeps sitting on my shelf waiting for for me to read. But I uh, I like TKO's stuff, as I'll mention in a moment. And I just I love just the physicality of these books. They're um, you know some of them I bought digitally, but some of them I order from tko the the trades and they're um like big you know they're sort of like extra long mm-hmm. size and they have a, a, a nice heft to them and I, I like walter's art so I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into sentient yeah i have the um like the slip case with the issues i thought that was a oh, fun nice. way of, of presenting cool. like yeah yeah the um so 
Disenchant is by Jeff Lemire and Gabriel Walta. And I'm mm-hmm. a huge fan of, of Walta's since his, uh, his uh, run on Vision. Um, or is it The Visions? I think it's The Visions. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. The Visions. The Tom King. Uh, yeah. One or the other. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, this book has to do with a, um, you know, the earth has been bled dry of resources and, and we are now jettisoned out into space. And the one of the first few ships or some of the first few ships that are like non-essential um, to um, terraforming planets is families and families mm-hmm. of scientists mm-hmm. and um, and other people who will, you know, of course, help um, enrich these the burgeoning societies on these on these new planets. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. so um, the book deals with what happens when one of those um, uh, spaceships, uh, something bad happens and only the kids are left to uh, pilot the ship and mm-hmm. the and what is the sen- semi-sentient uh, robot mother to do uh, raising <laughs> these kids on a on a stowaway or on a on a ship that's pretty much uh, out in the middle of nowhere right. and it's a really interesting um, uh, it's a really uh, how do I say this? I don't think I've read anything like it. <laughs> it mm-hmm. it feels like something that that seems to be just ready, like pitch ready, you yeah. know, like ready for a TV series or a or a movie or something. So it could easily be like dismissed as as simple genre work. But I think sure. Lemire's really trying to trying to do something um, interesting with the way he portrays the children, who can be. Mm-hmm. In fact, it gets a, almost a little. It feels like it's about to get a little Lord of the Flies in uh, uh-huh. on the ship uh, uh-huh. uh, in a couple instances. So got it. Yeah, it's 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 not what I expected, and Walt Walt's art is as good as ever. Um, so those that are my uh, cool. yeah yeah. I totally <laughs> recommend it. I I love when you recommend something that is sitting on my shelf because it means I can go <laughs> and listen to it. Sure. But you know, uh, you as you were talking, I was thinking about how Lemire. Um, I think he that's one of one of the gifts he's sort of proven himself in that he keeps being able to be inventive. You know, and, and there's a certain feeling where it's like he's doing so much, he's writing so much that you must have run of ideas. And not everything is a hit, but it there for the for a while it just felt like, okay, reliably what Lemire is gonna be is gonna be some like far out, you know, genre mm-hmm. premise. But then it's always going to root back to like fathers and sons, or you know, yeah. or like yeah, motherhood. There's somehow, definitely you know. parenthood. He's got a parenthood streak in him. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. And yet, and yet, as much as you're like, okay, that's what it was. He still manages to surprise you. You know, he still manages to, um, to to sort of be original or to to surprise expectations. You know, and uh, and I really, I mean, that's that's a talent. That's I think the gift that he has, and uh, makes makes. Uh, whatever he writes worth checking out. Yeah. He's a big David Lynch fan and a big twin peaks fan. And Mm -hmm. so I think he knows how to, um, or at least understands how to, um, uh, surpass like expectations or reader expectations. Right. Um, and you know, to me, the black hammer verse is clearly, uh, him trying or not trying, but him doing his own like Astro city, esque you know Mm -hmm. meta critique Mm -hmm. and and just like Kurt Busiek you know not going where the reader expects with stories you know I think the Black Amorverse does a good job with that too so he's Mm -hmm. always a he's always a uh, a writer that I will follow Um, you're right that I don't like everything that he does but his (laughs) output has you know it's incredible <laughs> that guy is must be always writing <laughs> yeah and yeah he's an artist uh, boot. yeah 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 no and and stays drawing too usually he's got some kind of project that is on his artist table and then you know 15 stories that he's keeping in his head somehow <laughs> yeah yeah cool all right what do you got for us paul um yeah I, i'm as usual all over the place 
in my reading. <laughs> but actually, maybe I can start where you left off, which is that, I mean, this the TKO um, Studios, which I think started two years ago, Zai-chan and, mm-hmm. and um, just gathering, gathering a group of creators, I think, who were um, ready to be part of this project. So if folks don't know, they should definitely check out online that TKO publishes things. And you can get them digitally now, but you can also order... And what they do is when they release a book, it's all the single issues at once. Like you got that box set, um, or you can get it in trade. You know, it's sort of like a pick your format, yeah. uh, which is kind of a fun, fun idea. Um, I have gotten everything in trades. And like I said, I like the way they feel. Um, the, the books look good digitally, too. The one that I read this past couple of weeks was The Banks by Roxane Gay and Ming Doyle. Um, the Banks is about like a, it's like a three generations of maybe four, (laughs) three generations of women um, who are thieves. Um, And you kind of, you know, do a a whole lot of time jumping to understand the backstory of how it is that, you know, this woman becomes a thief and her her daughter sort of gets brought into the life. And then a granddaughter who's avoiding the life um, seems inexorably pulled in. Um, And, you know, and there's a code among them and they're thieves uh, with dignity. You know, it's like the kind of like respectable (laughs) thieves kind of thing. Um, And, you know, there's a there's a whole lot to it. That's about family. That's about culture. They're all black women. Um, Roxanne Gay. I mean, if you don't know, then um, educate yourself, folks. (laughs) But, you know, Roxanne Gay, a brilliant writer. Um, And so, I mean, it, it was interesting to to read the story um, to think a little bit about how the crime genre serves as a, a way to to think about family, you know, like some of our best family stories are crime stories, you know, like sure, you know, thinking about Godfather and and uh, even like black exploitation as a as a mm-hmm. you know overall set of genres. Mm-hmm. So I I think it's um it's pretty well done. And Ming Doyle um has an artist an artistic style that I think just you know some parts of it sometimes look a little wonky. But what she's really good at, she's really good at. And so the sense of like design and fashion and sort of human human interaction and, and emotion, um, she, her, her style is able to convey so, so well. So enjoyed the banks. It's, it's one of my, I, I've read a number of the TKO titles. I think it's one of my favorites for sure. Oh, wow. Is Now, is this Roxanne Gay's first foray into comics? Oh, no, no, no. She's written like some Black Panther stuff. She's written uh, a variety of things. Um, okay cool so yeah 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 she's done she's done some some different comics um does it read like a author who is you know like an essayist slash novelist yeah, who's yeah, writing yeah. comics yeah a little I know bit. Her as an essayist but yeah yeah a little bit but not not in any way that um to me hinders reading you know what i mean like yeah there's yeah. not it's not so purple with prose that you feel like oh you, you didn't really figure out how to how to get things on the comics page. So I think there's a lot of fluidity in life in the story. Cool. So, yeah. So that's the banks. Check that out. Um, <laughs> to jump to something quite different. Um, my family <laughs> and I have been reading this. So I, I am a subscriber to Shonen Jump, which Johnny, if you don't, if you don't yet have Shonen Jump, let me just gently nudge you as a friend. It's the best deal yeah. in comics. It's like, <laughs> I think it's like three bucks a month. You get access to the whole archives. And you know, I know, oh, wow. so, you know, the, those comics aren't for everybody. Um, that kind of comics aren't for everybody. And I would say that most of the titles don't necessarily appeal to me. I'm not a big Mm, even one punch man you know i i i've had fun with one punch man but i i just like can't follow it on the regular um but occasionally something kind of hits and so there's a there's a um uh, a series that's been serialized in weekly shonen jump and so for folks who don't know you know it's like it's kind of how manga works right it's kind of um serialized stories about 30 pages or so i mean sometimes it get bounced around between like 20 pages or 10 pages or like 60 pages you kind of never know what the installment is going to give you but um usually once uh, every other week or once a week and so there's been 21 chapters of this title i should say the damn title it's called spy x family <laughs> um it's by a, a a manga creator named tatsuya endo and um spy x family is so here's the premise but you have to sort of like prepare. You have to have manga brain on, and like especially shonen manga, which is just like all wacky premise, you know. And it's, yeah. and it's sort of if you if you um, try to take it too serious, it, you you'll miss the fun. Uh, 
but it's basically a um, he's there's a guy who's a spy and there's like a, a sort of dueling and in temporary peace two giant um, nations west west Ulis and east something <laughs> so he's a spy <laughs> from one living in another and he's you know one of these super spies who can who who can do everything um, but his mission requires him to sort of um, you know get to know a very reclusive dictator for something some big wig or something and the and the only way that seems that that you can reach this um this very hidden away enemy is to uh, is through his son's elite boarding school so the spy's mission is to uh basically invent a family create a family send their kid to this get their kid into this elite boarding school and try to make connections there and so the spy finds uh (laughs) i mean this is terrible and like it's like or a little orphan Annie, but he goes to an orphanage and picks up a kid. <laughs> Thankfully, it's not that easy. Uh, uh, but he goes and picks up a kid. And of course, the kid he picks up is a telepath. Um, <laughs> happens nice. to be a telepath. And then they, uh, you know, they realize they need to find a mom. And they sort of chance encounter somebody who, um, who well, who's looking for a, a sort of pseudo fake family to, to, to help her out. And it turns out she is an assassin. So of course, like you got the spy dad, the <laughs> assassin mom, the telepath daughter, and they, 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 uh, and of course the telepath daughter knows what's going on, but the spy dad and the assassin mom don't know that they are those things. You know, like nice. <laughs> it's it, so there's a there's a whole lot of like hijinks and fun. Um, there's some light action. It's um, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. It's like what Shonen at its best can give you, which is like super um, absurd plot. <laughs> but like, you know, but you buy it. It's it's within genre and it's just um, a lot of fun. So I've been reading that one with the family and, you know, my daughter who's nine has really loves that little kid character. And so it's uh, highly <laughs> recommended. Yeah. That's if only I could read my dad's thoughts. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that, and then yeah. to find out your dad dad's thoughts involve uh, uh, being a spy, you know, right, right, <laughs> like, right. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, that's it's a fun good. premise. Yeah, it's a good time. It's a good time. Uh, great art too. So, um, so that's that's been on my list too. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's funny when I read this stuff with my kid. There's always like something on the table that's like, okay, that's this is kid acceptable, and then there's always something that's like, all right, she's gone to bed, so I'm gonna read this other thing, which. <laughs> <laughs> for the last few weeks for me. Um, I've been checking out, so, you know, for, I guess, a year and a half or so, Marvel has taken its ter- turn with the um, Conan license. Conan license? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I still, Conan O'Brien has ruined me for saying Conan. <laughs> but um, the Conan, the Barbarian license, and, you know, he's been showing up everywhere if people have been watching. Like, there's a whole Savage Avengers that's kind mm-hmm. of like Avengers plus Conan. Um, but I, I, I heard good things about sort of the, core title or the original core title when they got that when they launched that license and it's of course written by your friend and mine jason aaron <laughs> yeah <laughs> not really but um and i think i i really love you know he, he just um aaron as a writer and what he's able to do and um drawn mostly by mahmoud uh, asrar um actually completely by asrar so mm-hmm. i think the 13th issue just came up but they've switched creative teams um that first 12 issues is kind of of a piece. And I, so I just fired through those 12 issues of Conan the Barbarian. Um, and kind of, again, in spite of myself, like my recent <laughs> foray into Venom, I didn't know that I would be reading Conan <laughs> comics. And yet here am I. Here I am reading Conan comics. I just said Conan again. Um, <laughs> funny enough, I've also been listening to Conan O'Brien's podcast, which is, have you heard that one? Yeah. That's, that's, that's yeah, funny. the I Need a Friend or I need a friend. something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> I can relate. Um, but um, Conan the Barbarian uh, by Aaron and Esrar. So what they do is they kind of have a frame story, which is like something going on with like witches and these witch children mm-hmm. and like this, you know, faded destiny of Conan, you know, dying. But it really is a setup for it. Really, what it really is in the first 10 issues, an issue by issue, like um, uh, sort of like moment in in. Conan's adventures so it, you know it's a frame story that lets you set up each issue to be its own kind of like moment when Conan overcame some adversity at different stages of his uh, wild and illustrious career <laughs> as a barbarian <laughs> and um, I, suffice it to say like Aaron is you know always rock solid as a writer and Asrar is talented as hell so 
I um I was surprised to to get totally sucked into Conan the Barbarian and uh if you haven't read it's good. Yeah, you know, my favorite uh Jason Aaron book of all time is mm-hmm. uh is his work with Aaron Guerra on mm-hmm. um it's the book where it was uh Cain and Abel. Yeah. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Um God. Ah, the mm-hmm. goddamn <laughs> duh. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I got it just as you said it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So my like my favorite book of Jason Aaron's is uh, his work with Aaron Guerra on The Goddamned, mm-hmm. and that is a very mm-hmm. like um, unique <laughs> take on uh, the Cain, uh, yeah, the uh, character from the from the Bible, sure, or person sure. from the Bible, and. Uh, and it it plays like a Conan, or yeah. Now I'm saying it. <laughs> it plays like a Conan. <laughs> <laughs> Leans uh, into very, the savagery, right? Yes, very much yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. And uh, so I was super excited to see what him and Azrar would do on on Con- mm-hmm. Conan, uh, the Barbarian. For Marvel, <laughs> it is obviously toned down from the ultraviolent image book, but there is yeah. a lot of fun to be had. I mean, if you're a fan of sure. the Robert. E. Howard uh, stories yes. originally, you know that he wasn't mm-hmm. just a barbarian. He was a he was a pirate. He was a thief. You know, he mm-hmm. did a lot of cool mm-hmm. stuff. And and <laughs> Jason Aaron and Azar kind of take you around uh, at various stages of his age and and yeah. uh, and experiences. And it's yeah, you're right. The twelve issues uh, are are a lot of fun, and the art yeah. is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've read you've read the whole thing, or you've read a lot of them. Uh, I think I've, I've read most of it. I don't know if I'm all yeah. the way through it, but I didn't know that there was a there was a creative team change. So, oh yeah, yeah. I think that they had always planned from from the beginning to uh, to switch over after twelve issues. You know, they gotcha. kind of got their nice solid twelve. And um, yeah, I mean, fun. one thing that I think that's, that's interesting about it is like to bring um, that that excitement that the Howard stories have and those sort of variety mm-hmm. of elements, um, but to to make it palatable for modern sensibilities, you know, like some of the gender politics and some of the like, sure. Even some of the savagery is all, um, it's, it's just interesting to see the kinds of, uh, tricks, uh, Aaron does to, to update those yeah. kind of stories, you know? And, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just also just fun reading. But- yeah. Good stuff. Good adventure comics. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, speaking of good adventures, I've also Absolutely. been, um, just keeping up with some different things that are ongoing kind of things. The Legend of Korra Ruins of Empire, which is by um, DiMartino. And uh, shoot, I'm blanking on the artist's name. I'll have to correct that in the show notes. Um, But we're reviewing that at Multiversity. And something that um, Mark Tweedale and Nick Palmieri and I do is keep up with those Avatar and and Korra comics um, from Dark Horse. Um, And then this week, Superman Smashes the Clan, Volume 3, um, issue three or oh, whatever nice. um, by uh, by Gene Luanyang and Corey Hero came out from DC. So uh, I just I just you know yesterday finished that up. But the last thing I think I want to mention is that um, the Parable of the Sower graphic novel, which came out in January from Abrams, uh, is by um, is an adaptation of Octavia Butler, the um, the sci-fi fantasy writer who, um, though no longer with us, I think her her huge imprint her huge footprint is still being felt in um you know in the various um especially black sci-fi and fantasy writers who are continuing on this legacy of um using those genres to be a kind a kind of like afro-futuristic mm-hmm. um imaginative like frontier you know and so and, and you know like maybe the most common touchstone for folks is like kind of black panther and wakanda but it but it's really um, a, a growing uh, body of work from various writers, and I think Butler's been the inspiration for for many of those. Um, but um, Damian Duffy and John Jennings, who are uh, artists and academics, and Duffy does the adaptation, and Jennings is the um, is the artist, have um, have already done Kindred, which is uh, one of you know Butler's seminal stories books, uh, which is, was like a time travel narrative about um, looking at slavery. Parable of the Sower looks at um, different kinds of social issues, but um, in the context of a story about like a near future. In fact, it's set in 2024. With, I think Butler wrote it in the 
80s or 90s, but um, set in 2024, which makes the <laughs> and it's all about like a society with the a wall, you know, and like mm-hmm. um, you know the the consequences of, of of climate degradation and all this kind of stuff. So it's pretty intense um but i i really enjoyed it and my review uh, which i can link in the show notes of multiversity um i you know i i kind of go off on on how at first i was a little disappointed in kindred actually um but i've come around to it and i think duffy and jennings are doing some really smart things in adapting a style that butler uses very intentionally and purposefully to a different style that has similar intentions and purpose in comics so um, yeah, I, I think folks should check out Parable of the Seller. It's a good one. Yeah, I don't think, I don't, obviously, Butler doesn't get enough credit for being as prescient as she was writing mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the things that she did that are, you know, in, you know, just incredibly and perhaps horrifically re- relevant today. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm eager to uh, actually pick this book up. I, I mm. liked Kindred, um, mm. but... Uh, I have not picked up Parable of the Sower, but after reading your review, I'm I'm anxious to to do so. Yeah, yeah, check it out. Cool. Well, um, those are our picks and shovels. Um, after a little break here, we'll launch into talking about Little Bird by um, Darcy von von Polgeist. Yes. All right. All right. And uh, and Pretty Deadly, the Rat by Kelly Sue DeConnick and. Uh, um, Emerius. Emerius. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll come back and talk about those. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Hey there, welcome back to Comic Syllabus Podcast, where we read widely and dig deep. This week's uh, Dig Deep is Pretty Deadly Volume 3, uh, The Rat, and the miniseries Little Bird, both from Image Comics. Now, uh, you all might be wondering why uh, you're only hearing me, uh, Johnny, uh, and not Paul uh, as well. Um, we, When we originally recorded this podcast, um, a few minutes in, uh, Paul's internet went out, and so now I am uh, taking over because of scheduling and, and whatnot. Um, so hopefully uh, you guys won't mind having me sit in as the uh, solo uh, host for a little bit, but um, yeah, let's get started. Um, I, I guess I wanted to talk about first why we decided to have two books um, as part of the Dig Deep and to be honest, I, I really don't know. I think both books were something that had been uh, on our list to read. I know that I'm a huge fan of Pretty Deadly, and I wanted to catch up. And um, the the series Little Bird, I'm a huge Ian Bertram fan, and so I kind of wanted to catch up on that as well and, and, and talk about it. Um, and, and Paul uh, felt the same way, I, I think. And so... Um, there really wasn't much thread connecting. There's not a lot of connective tissue uh, between the two books, I don't think. Um, they are both uh, in the fantasy genre, uh, or at least partly. Uh, they're both out from Image Comics. Um, the third volume of Pretty Deadly is five issues, and I believe Little Bird was a six-issue series, uh, each issue about 36 pages uh, in length. Um, as far as creative teams go, uh, Little Bird um, was written by a screenwriter by the name of Darcy Van Polgeist, uh, with art by Ian Bertram and colors by Matt Hollingsworth. And then, of course, Pretty Deadly, same creative team that's been throughout the series, uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick on writing, um, Emma Rios on uh, 
art and um, the fantastic Jordi Belair on colors. Um, what I guess I wanted to dig deep on was, um, I, I guess, uh, when we're talking about genre, and of course Image Comics uh, deals heavily in genre books, what what separates um, genre for the for the particular series? Like, is it um, just a carbon copy of other genre staples, or do they try to do something different? So, like genre adherence versus um, really challenging uh, genre staples. And I think um, these two books are pretty good examples of of the former and the latter. Um, I'll start uh, with Little Bird, I think. Um, again, uh, Ian Bertram is the artist on this, and I think this is a book that really uh, was made to uh, highlight his art styles. He's very... Um, his influences are on the page. He's um, very detail-oriented. He looks... He reminds me of uh, Frank Quitely um, or a Jeff Darrow um, maybe even a little bit of Mo Moebius in there and that'll come into play a little bit later um, what we have here is um, oh and you know before I get started uh, if you want to hit pause there there will be heavy spoilers for these two or I'm going to try to stay away from heavy spoilers but there, there probably will be spoilers for, for both of these books so if you want to Go read these and, and check back uh, after you've after you've caught up. Um, so I don't get hate mail. That would be great. Um, so Little Bird deals with um, we're in the there we're in the distant future. Uh, the United States is now the United Nations of America or something like that. Basically, we the United States of America is overrun by the Catholic Church. The church is the, we are a theocracy. Um, at the head of this theocracy is a evil character by the name of Bishop. Uh, they are expanding their territory into Canada, and that's where the focus of the book is, uh, in the far north, uh, where the last bastion of of uh, um, the rebellion, the Canadian rebellion, um, sits. Uh, Little Bird is uh, the main character, um, she is uh, the daughter of of two of the, or one of the um, primary resistance fighters. Her name is Tantu, I believe. And uh, throughout the series, you get a little bit of, uh, well, you get a lot of, like, uh, religious iconography, especially with the Catholic Church, um, definitely Christian iconography, um, and then a little bit of the indigenous uh, iconography or... or um, uh, uh, yeah, iconography of, of uh, Native Americans, uh, totem poles, face war paint, um, things of that nature. It's It feels a little pasted on. <clears throat> um, I think that they do, uh, they don't do a lot of explaining of the backstory, and I think that's, in one ways, that's, uh, you know, that, forces the reader to do a bit of their own imagination and that's always fun um but if you don't do enough of it i think it can also feel a little half-baked and uh, i think we get a little of that here even though bertram does a good job of of uh making the world vibrant um it still f feels like there's more story to be told um so the basic, though, you know, your protagonist is a little bird and Bishop is searching for her. We come to find out, spoiler alert, you know, this is um, uh, Bishop's son, Gabriel, adopted son, is little bird's brother, twin brother. So... Um, I guess what I wanted to say about uh, Little Bird uh, as a story overall is is that it um, 
it doesn't really defy any genre expectations. I mean, it feels like a <laughs> a beat for beat uh, carbon copy of like a any typical Joseph Campbellian hero's journey. Um, uh, it feels like Star Wars. There are you know there are certain moments that are just uh, you know telegraphed um, from the moment the scene begins, and that seems unfortunate. Um, it seems like there there could be more um, done with a story so rich, or um, again going back to that not telegraphing a lot there. There could be a lot of ways the story could go, and yet you feel like it's um, on rails. Uh, there's no room for, or there's there's not much um, bucking of genre trends. Uh, you know, Bishop is who you think he is. Uh, Little Bird and Gabriel are who you think they are. The Axe, uh, this character that kind of mentors uh, Little Bird for... A while is you know straight up Obi Wan, and he is who you think he is. Um, there is a uh, old friend of the axes who does a heel turn, <laughs> surprising no one. So um, I think that again, uh, Ian Bertram's art is spectacular on the page. He is doing a lot of the heavy lifting for this series, and with good reason. He's uh, an insanely talented uh, individual. I'd also like to say that Matt Hollingsworth does a great job of bringing like uh, rich hues and vibrancy to the um, to the story. Uh, in the there's some back matter, some great back matter in the gorgeous oversized hardcover that talks about like what Matt Hollingsworth's ideas were for um, the colors of the series. And he he um, says that he, he can kind of see from the art stylings what Ian Bertram was going for. It's a very Mobius um, look. And you can um, see that in the colors. Um, Mobius had very uh, distinctive colors. A lot of like flat, rich hues. Um, kind of uh, like uh, defying like expectations of, of um, what certain colors things should be. Um, on uh, page 101, if you're reading along, <laughs> or if you're not, that's fine too, but page 101, there's a great, um, there's a great example of this, uh, although you could see it throughout, um, but it starts off with like a scene of this like really, um, a large spaceship like zooming through the Canadian wilderness in the background it could you know you could have tons of shadow or rich vibrant distinct colors but it's just a flat like bluish green in the background and the like the trail of dust under it is uh, like a flat brown but then it goes to the inside of the ship and the ship is like pasted in this like fluorescent light that does a great job of like vacating any of the shadow um and really like the the only like darkness you see is like the the cloaked figure of Gabriel but uh it's just very reminiscent of what Mobius would do with his books uh throughout um i guess um at this point we'll kind of switch over to um yeah, so I guess in conclusion, what I want to say about Little Bird is um, it's it's a very interesting series to look at. Ian Bertram does a lot of, like, weird things with his art. Uh, he has these great, like, uh, body horror type. I mean, the, the book is incredibly violent, um, lots of gore. But he has, like, these great, like, genetically modified beings with, like, these red arterial tendrils. Uh enveloping them and just the scenery around them uh it just gives off this great creepy vibe that was kind of what he was doing in house of penance too so i he's definitely got a a thing um but uh as far as like what it does 
for the genre, if you're looking for it to like buck any trends or to say something different about the genre, this isn't this isn't the book. However, that brings me to kind of want to talk about Pretty Deadly and The Rat, where we kind of get the opposite. Um, so again, this is Volume Three. Uh, volume one was the Shrike. Volume two was the Bear. This is the Rat, and what Pretty Deadly is, uh, what it's always been, is kind of a story about stories, and those are very much my jam. Now, this also um, uh, does like dabble in different genres. Um, like the first series was a western genre. The second series primarily was a like a war genre. Uh, volume three is a noir and and specifically a LA noir, uh, dealing with like old Hollywood. Um, but the cool thing about uh, Pretty Deadly is that it kind of bounces between genres as it bounces between stories. For those of you familiar with with Pretty Deadly, you'll know that it um, uh, there is like an overarching narrative, like. Uh, two, one character is telling the story to another character. A like a um, a bunny skeleton is telling uh, the story of of the pretty deadly world to butterfly. And so what you have here is you have like part fable, and that part of that fable is um, like the myth of the world uh, of pretty deadly, which is has to do with um, death reincarnated or you know uh, a new person taking over the mantle of death and repairing the world garden and death's reapers of which one of the main characters Jenny is one of them now this is very reminiscent of Sandman another perhaps the most famous um, example of in comics of a story about stories uh, so, so um, we have a lot of uh, like meta narrative uh, engagement with the audience, um, and then finally, like the third um, story in this volume is a noir story, as I as I mentioned before, uh, where we deal with Jenny, one of the Reapers, helping out a detective, or not really a detective, just a person who wants to find out about the death of his niece, and this man is known as the Conjure Man or Frank Childs, if anybody remembers him from the second volume. Now, um, this is kind of a high-wire act, and it's it's really not like Storytelling 101. This takes um, a dedicated like um, uh, cohesion of both storytelling and artwork, and the two or more people working together to pull this off. It takes a really like um, uh, symbiosis of, of thought into what a project wants to be. And I think Kelly Sue DeConnick and Emma Rios are the perfect pairing for this. They really know each other's sensibilities. They have a, they have a goal in mind uh, for each volume. And you can tell that they, they're just working really uh, in, uh, in simpatico or whatever. Um, as the series progresses, um, you know, uh, you know, obviously there's, you can tell each story easily separately on its own. You can tell a whole story. The one issue is just bunny relaying the narrative to the butterfly or, you know, one issue is just the, the world garden and death and the, the characters that inhabit that. And then one issue that's, you know the the detective story in Hollywood. You know it's it's a good deal greater to like weave these um, narratives together, and kind of subverting uh, genre expectations for all of them. Now, um, I guess one of the big staples of noir genre is the use of shadow. And kind of what I wanted to talk about here specifically is the really cool thing that they do with noir uh, and relating it to, you know, as like I said, it is set in Hollywood. They do this great thing where a lot of the story is told in shadow puppetry or um, 
uh, like, um, or in silhouette, really. I mean, obviously, you know, you can't really um, show moving uh, puppetry or whatever. But uh, Emma and colorist Jordi Blair working really well in tandem together to kind of present a lot of the story, especially the story or the battle between Jenny and the Reaper obsession uh, in silhouette. Um, I want to... Uh, yeah, so starting on uh, in issue four, around page ten, there's a great battle scene that's um, done pretty much in silhouette. Um, now, I mean, you know, obviously that you know silhouette or shadow is no uh, stranger to uh, noir, uh, but what's interesting about this is they kind of they took a lot of like inspiration from. Um, uh, the animation of that time, and specifically, an an artist known as, or her name was uh, Lotta Reiniger, uh, a German animator, probably most famous for the Adventures of Prince Ahmed, which is kind of considered one of the first um, animated uh, full length feature films. Um, she was a she used a brilliant use of like shadow puppetry in her animation. And she was also one of the, like the forebears of the multi-plane uh, style of animation. Um, so in issue four of the rat, uh, right, starting right around on page 10, but page 10 specifically, for those of you following along, there's a great um, example of this shadow puppetry or silhouette usage. As uh, we see this, the Reaper of Obsession turned from like this witch character into a full-fledged like dragon demon. And there's a great fluidity of motion in Emma Rios's um, artwork. In fact, the the panels kind of uh, make an inverted S around the page as like this this great beast is is transforming from one thing into another. Most of it done in in silhouettes, aside from a couple. Uh, pictures of Jenny, who is standing in the the foreground. Um, so to weave these elements of fable and fantasy and noir together uh, is a considerable risk by the creators. It's a it's I think I've said before it's a high wire act um, to bounce between these genres and to tell a story or to tell three stories uh, interweaving. Uh, it it not only challenges creators it also challenges the readers. Um, can the readers keep up? Um, but I like that. I like being I like being challenged uh, when I'm reading a story, and uh, I don't like stories that follow certain beats uh, predictably. Um, or if they do, how are they how are they changing their how are they changing the way they're telling us so that these uh, story beats, uh, while telegraphed, have more impact. And I think um, Pretty Deadly is a great example of this. So in conclusion, um, I think that adherence to genre expectations is fine. I think there's a lot to like about Little Bird. I think it's a great showcase about, uh, for Ian Bertrand's art and Matt Hollingsworth's, Matt Hollingsworth's colors. Um, I think that uh, where I'm not getting much, as much nourishment from my reading uh, of the series is where it, it is very, uh, it is on rails. It is, it's telling the same story you've seen multiple times without much, um, inversion of, you know, genre staples. And that's not always necessary, but certainly if you want to be challenged, this isn't really the book for you, especially if you're familiar with, with the fantasy genre or, Joseph Campbell's hero myth, um, it's, it, it follows a very clear path. Uh, on the other hand, pretty deadly, uh, they, ch it challenges a lot of these, uh, genre, uh, stereotypes and interweaves them and even adds a bit of, um, uh, media not often seen in, well, I, I it takes a bit of, um, you know, 
it's it's set in old Hollywood, so it takes this old animation style found right around that same time and kind of interweaves that and injects that, and it really enriches the reading experience and kind of inverts the noir genre uh, by adding a bit uh, a, a different element uh, to it. Um, so I think that there's a lot to love about uh, Pretty Deadly, uh, The Rat, and really challenging my expectations, and it should challenge yours too, I, th- I think. So yeah, in conclusion, our deep dig this week, Little Bird, Pretty Deadly, The Rat. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed listening. Uh, again, I think uh, there's a, you know there's a lot to like about each book, uh, but certainly for my taste, and I think you know I speak for Paul when I say his taste as well. I think Pretty Deadly is the one that um, kind of uh, stoked our our uh, our fires a little bit a little bit more. Um, yeah, so that's gonna do it for the deep dig this week. I hope that you <laughs> have enjoyed this uh, solo outing from me. Uh, I can't wait to have Paul back <laughs> uh, to kind of help guide along the conversation. But uh, I hope that uh, you got a little something out of out of my uh, take on both Little Bird and Pretty Deadly the Rat. Uh, until next time, uh, this has been uh, Comic Syllabus, uh, where we read widely and dig deep. deep.